therein in this gospel is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth down in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath revealed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 is the focus of our study today on the Unchanging Word broadcast. We are grateful for you being here with us. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's systematic layout of the doctrine of the gospel of the grace of God. This gospel is one of the two direct revelations from the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle Paul, and it is here written for our instruction. As we begin our lesson today, we are looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. As Dr. Mitchell points out, God has not only revealed His grace and His love, but is also now revealing from heaven His wrath. Dr. Mitchell tells us not only why God is revealing His wrath, but also to whom He is revealing it. So turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again, we come to you with studies in the book of Romans, and we've been dealing with the first 17 verses of this amazing book, which is the introduction, of course, to this book, which is the revelation of the righteousness of God. We have just been discussing the fact that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was the power of God unto salvation, unto deliverance, to everyone that believeth, whether Jew or Gentile. For therein, in this gospel, is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, that's the introduction to the epistle. And uh, it would be very, very well for you to read and reread this question of the gospel being a revelation 
of the righteousness of God, that righteousness of God which is bestowed upon sinners who believe. The only ones who can believe are sinners. Christ didn't die for good people. He didn't die for the righteous. He died for sinners. Hence, the righteous shall live by faith. We start in faith and we continue in faith. But now shall we go on? The folly of Paul discussing the righteousness of God when men, not only in that day, but in this day also, they believe that they have a righteousness of their own. You see, the folly of, of discussing the things of a righteousness of God when men are still occupied with themselves. So you ask the question, is the gospel necessary? Wouldn't it be all right if I did the best I could in keeping the Ten Commandments? Well, let me tell you this, the Ten Commandments can't give you life. The Ten Commandments cannot clear you from sin. The Ten Commandments, if they're broken once, demand death. You've come too late on the scene, my friend. You've already sinned. And the reason why the gospel, the good news, is necessary is because you couldn't keep the Ten Commandments if you wanted to. So I'm doing the best I can. That's not going to stand in favor with God. God demands righteousness. You have sinned, and hence you must meet the judgment of God upon sin. Well, how about keeping the golden rule? Well, but nobody keeps it. I say the same thing. You can't keep the law of Moses, and you can't keep the golden rule. Why are you going to say to me, my Mr. Mitchell, if that's so, why did God give them to us? God gave you the law of the Ten Commandments, and he gave you the golden rule. What for? To prove that you're a sinner, that you need more than keeping some rules which you can't keep anyhow. You see, I want to get this clear in your mind Man is no longer on probation. It's a matter now of life or of death. Did you hear what I said? It's not a question as to trying to be good or trying to be religious or going through some ceremony or trying to keep the golden rule. You've come too late on the scene. We've passed the day of probation. Jesus said in John 3, 18, He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, you remember 11 and 12, we read of the fact that the Gentiles were without Christ, without hope, and without God, and we're afar off. You see, you've come too late. You're no longer on probation. It's a matter now, I say, of life and death. It's a matter of your own personal relationship to the Savior. Now, having, having mentioned the question of God's righteousness, as I said a moment ago, the folly of revealing God's righteousness when men think they have some of their own, Paul now begins to write and give to us 
the absolute unrighteousness of man. All men, whether Jew, Gentile, moralist, religionist, you name it, he's going to reveal in these next chapters, chapter 1, 2, and part of 3, he's going to show that there isn't a man on the face of the earth that has righteousness, that is able to stand on his own two feet before God and say, this is what I am. It's not a question of some folks saying, well, if my good works will outweigh my bad works, I'm going to be all right. No, my friend, you've fallen short of the glory of God. God's measurement is not your good works or your bad works. God's measurement is his own glory. If you can't measure up to the very righteousness of God, you can't even begin to stand in his presence. Why, you say, then it's hopeless for you, for me, yes, but not for God. And God has good news for you. That's why Paul could say in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. In other words, this good news from God is the only way a man or a woman can be freed from sin and fitted for the presence of God covered with the righteousness of Christ. I hope I've made myself clear. I want you to stop your deadly doing and just begin to trust the Savior. This is what delights the heart of God. God is not delighted in the religions of men. God is not delighted in men with his own self-righteousness. God is righteous. And I said in the preceding lesson, there is only one real righteousness in the universe, and that's God's. And friend, unless you can measure up to the righteousness of God, you can't stand in his presence. Now you say, well, I'll throw my hands up. Then it's an impossible case. I'm lost forever. Well, I've got some good news for you. Though you yourself cannot produce righteousness, all you can produce is filthy rags. God has made provision whereby any man or any woman who will put their trust in Jesus Christ, his Son, will not only be forgiven his sins, but stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. Now, when we come to chapter 3 of this book of Romans, I'm going to spend some time on that. What I want to get to your heart is there is only one righteousness, and that's God's. And the reason today why people are minimizing sin and their conscience are becoming seared as with a hot iron with respect to sin is because they have never seen the righteousness of God. And the more we see the righteousness of God, the more we realize our need of a Savior. And isn't it wonderful that God has provided the Savior? Now, having said that, let's get down to our study in verses 18, chapter 1, verse 18, and this runs down to 320. The need for righteousness, chapter 118 to 320. Now, in the rest of the chapter, chapter 1, from verses 18 to 32, we have the Gentile world guilty before God. Now, before I take it up, let me say this. After you get through this first chapter, 
For Paul, all Paul does is to take the history of mankind, the history of the Gentile world. And when he got through that first chapter, all the Jews said, Amen. That's a real picture of the Gentile world. And it is. It still is. I've had people say to me, Why, Mr. Mitchell, you don't think that, don't you think that the world has improved in the Apostle Paul's day? Well, I would say we have more education, we have more knowledge, we have more gadgets, we do a lot more possibly, we do some fantastic things. Like me, I'm talking to you now in Portland, wherever you are, and in your home you hear me talking to you face to face. That's the way I like it, just talking to you naturally face to face. As if you and I were the only one just talking, and I'm doing the talking, and here I am, and right where you are, coming over the airwaves, you hear it. Paul never had that, that's right. But the human heart of man and the conduct of man hasn't changed. Hasn't changed one bit. So the first thing is, in chapter 1, 18 to, 3, to verse 32, the Gentile world guilty. Allow me to break that chapter down. First of all, man is without excuse. Chapter 1, 18 to 20. And I'm going to read these verses. And when I read them, I want, to, I want to raise a question that is oftentimes raised. As a teacher of the Word of God, as a preacher of the Gospel, once in a while people will say, well, Mr. Mitchell, what about the heathen who have never heard? Well, here's some of your answers. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth down in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath, re hath revealed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let me just stop here. Man, Gentile world, is without excuse. Now, if you ask the question about the heathen, well, that's what Paul is talking about. You'll notice in the 18th verse, the gospel is not only a revelation of the righteousness of God, as seen in verse 17, but the gospel is also a revelation of the wrath of God. And his wrath is just as real as his love. God wants you to experience his love. My friend, God loves you. And we're living in a day of grace when God is pleading with men to accept the wonderful provision he has made for us in his son, Jesus Christ. But if my generation rejects his love, his grace, his mercy, then there's nothing else for a righteous God to do but to judge and manifest his wrath. Here you have the divine repulsion against sin. And God is bound to judge in righteousness, how else could he judge? That's why in Acts 17, 31,
God hath set apart a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. I'm quoting Acts 17.31. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. He is saving sinners today on the ground of his love and his grace, which has provided righteousness. And I really read here that the wrath of God is revealed against man's ungodliness, especially against man's rebellion. Listen to what it says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth. I'm putting a word in there to get the thought who hold down the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifested in them. For God hath showed it unto them. You stop here. I've been talking about the fact of the revelation of his wrath and God's repulsion against sin. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against man's ungodliness. Now, an ungodly man is one who leaves God out, who has no, no regard for God. You say, well, Mr. Mitchell, there are none like that today. My friend, you'd be surprised. You would just be surprised that today in the city of Portland, there are men and women who have absolutely no regard for God. They are ungodly. Now, they might, they might be moral, they might be wonderful people, but they leave God out of their lives. In fact, I want to make the statement that I made quite a bit while ago, that today in America, Canada, wherever you are, the average person goes to bed at night, gets up in the morning, goes to work, comes back from work, does a few things he wants to do, and goes back to bed with no thought, no room, no time for God. He lives in a little world all his own, and God is outside of his world. That's the ungodly. You see, then you make, mean they're atheists. No, I'm not saying they're atheists. They just have no regard for God. That is, they go their own way. They live their own lives. In fact, I would say that the great majority of people live just that way, practical. This is the way they live. They're practical a practical life of God outside of their circle, ungodly. Now he talks about the unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of men. Now this deals with their actions one toward another, actions against somebody else or even against yourself. It deals with wickedness of conduct. Ungodliness is concerning God out of their lives. Unrighteousness is their conduct. And then the third thing about them is they hold down the truth in unrighteousness. What do you mean? They suppress the truth. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they stifle the truth. Why? Because they want to sin. It's willful opposition to reveal truth. In his wickedness, man would suppress the truth. You know? 
I've talked to people today, and I've been told to shut up. A little more blunt than that, too, by the way. A few strong words thrown in. They would rather not hear the truth. There are men, intellectual men today, there are men in the teaching profession who try to keep from our young people the revelation of God, the revelation of God in his word, the revelation of the Son of God as a Savior. They make ridicule of it. I remember a professor in a so-called Christian college, not very far from where I'm sitting, in which this professor said, in the freshman class, if I find those who believe, who are so-called fundamentalists, or who believe uh, in God, in Jesus Christ, I try to destroy their faith in Christ. If I can't get them the first year, then the second year I make them a butt of ridicule that anybody today with any brains would not believe or would believe in Jesus Christ or the Word of God. Throw the Word of God out. Take a knife and cut it to pieces. Scorn. Now I'm quoting him when he said, and when they get to be seniors, I get a big bang out of it because some of these have become infidel. Those who came in the first year with faith in Christ, go out as infidels. I don't know how many he says about that or how much he's exaggerating, but I'm quoting this. And this was in a so-called Christian school. They hold down the truth in unrighteousness. And do you think for one moment they're going to escape the wrath of God? They're going to escape the judgment of God? My friend, God is going to judge men in righteousness. And God has revealed himself to man. For the 19th verse says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. When we get to chapter 2, we'll go a little more into that in verse about verse 14 and 15. But let me just stop here for today. The need for righteousness. Man doesn't have a lick of excuse. That's not a good word to use, is it? But you know what I mean. Man doesn't have any excuse. What man out of Christ can stand before a holy, righteous God and have any excuse when God has revealed himself to man? In man. Man has in him the capacity to worship, to trust the living God. But man has refused it. He's cast it out doesn't want it. He wants to live in his own little world, in his own little circle, and he's the center of the circle. May I tell you, my friend, and I close with this today, there is only one salvation. There's only one salvation. There's only one way of deliverance, and that's God's way. That's God's way. And God's way is through Jesus Christ, his beloved Son. Now, you read the first chapter of Romans, will you? And I'm going to raise the question again, what about the heathen? Do they have any excuse? What about you? Do you have any excuse? No, no, no excuse. May the Lord bless you in your reading of the book today, for his name's sake.
thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.